Hello again, and welcome to this Saturday morning podcast. Before we get to the show, I'd like to take a minute to say thank you to my loyal patrons. This month, we're giving shoutouts to Scott Gunstream, Matthew Hubbard, Keith Kaplan, Randy Watkins, and the newest member of the Saturday Morning family, Speed of Mercury. Thank you all for supporting the Saturday Morning Podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Chris, how can I get in on this? If you haven't checked out the Patreon, stop by and give it a look. There's now five levels. If you sign up for Deke, it'll cost you $3 a month and get you a shout-out on the podcast. The $5 level, Filmation Nation, gets you a shout-out and early access to the episodes. For $10 a month, as a member of the Ruby Spears option, you get all the good stuff, including a welcome packet and exclusive membership card. But the top of the line, the best of them all, is the crown jewel of Saturday morning, the Hanna-Barbera level. For $20 a month, you get the shoutouts, early access, the welcome packet, and a monthly newsletter about all things animated. Not only that, but my HBers will be entered into a drawing to win a production-used, signed script from the podcast. Best of all, and this is my favorite part, the first 20 people to sign up each month will get a vintage, production-used animation cell. No joke, it was a part of a show or a commercial. It's just our way of saying thank you for supporting the Saturday Morning Podcast. So check it out at patreon.com slash Saturday morn. And join us here where every day is Saturday. Now, on with the show. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the Saturday morning podcast. Let mom and dad sleep in and come back with me to the 80s. Let's grab a bowl of chocolate donut cereal or honey bunches of oats and flip on the tube. I've got the TV guide and hours of nothing to do. My name is Chris and I love all the Saturday morning cartoons. When I was a kid, I lived for Saturday mornings. Now that I'm an adult, I want to relive all those great shows and see how they came about. Let's take a deep dive back to the 80s and see what's waiting. Rewind! Hear ye, hear ye. If I can have your attention, I present to you, the fine people of Darshan, your new queen, the daughter of the old queen. The queen that is not the old queen, but is the new queen. Some of you may know who she is, while others may be learning of this for the first time. And if that's the case, where have you been? Is it time for holiday? Lucky you, I've been stuck here for decades. Oh, right, right. Now, she's not the king, silly people, if you thought that. No, no, she's the queen, and you are her royal subjects. If you don't want to be ruled over, then suck it. You have no choice, you peasants. Anyways, I present to you... What? The queen is living in Montana... I wouldn't say that's really living, if you know what I mean. There's only one solution. Send in the royal stallion. Send in... Wildfire. 
In the fall of 1986, CBS wanted their Saturday morning experience to be cinematic. They wanted it to be epic and over the top. That might have been why their TV Guide ad was the outside of a movie theater with Pee Wee Herman running the box office. Behind him were the posters of the shows playing at the CBS Odeon. On the marquee above were the words world premiere, CBS Saturday opens today. They had reason to give the feeling you were bringing the movies home. While Pee-wee's Playhouse was not based on a movie, the character of Pee-wee Herman had been a film hit the year before. There was the animation adaptation of the Michael J. Fox comedy Teen Wolf. Muppet Babies were still going strong and based on the TV and movie properties of Jim Henson. Galaxy High School was set in space and capitalized on the resurgence of science fiction as a bankable property at the movies. And then there was Wildfire. It wasn't based on a movie. However, the scope of the story promised to be epic. Wildfire told the story of a world called Darshan. When their ruling queen died, a magical stallion called Wildfire took the queen's baby, Princess Sarah, to Earth. The baby is hidden until she's old enough to rule and return to the kingdom. Opposing the future queen is Lady Diabolen, the late queen's sister and ruler of the goons. It sounded big and bold and a continuing story unlike any other cartoon out there. It sounded cinematic and right at home with the home theater lineup CBS was striving for. The show is placed in the 8.30 time slot just after the Berenstain Bears and as a lead-in for Muppet Babies. Rival ABC slotted their show The Care Bears against Wildfire. NBC's returning Disney show The Adventures of the Gummy Bears would also offer some stiff competition. Princess Sarah was left at the door of John Cavanaugh by Wildfire. Sarah grew up far from the kingdom of Darshan, being left on the Kavanaugh farm in Montana. Sarah's got an amulet that lights up when the stallion is coming for her. It's the horse that can take her back to Darshan when needed. Sarah's best friend is Ellen, a Native American girl that comes to play. When Sarah's people need her, she's only a world away. When she was left with Kavanaugh, she was a baby. At the time the story starts, she's 12 years old. John Kavanaugh is a farmer and a foster dad to Sarah. He's a single dad who has to answer to the ladies of the town about his care for Sarah. As it turns out during the course of the show, John is actually named Kavan. He's also from Darshan and, spoilers, happens to be Sarah's real dad. Wildfire is a stallion that other animals are afraid of. He's got shimmering purple skin and a red mane. He's a beast of pure muscle and has the ability to talk. He's also something of an aviator as he can fly. When transporting Sarah back to Darshan, he can open a portal that links the two worlds. Alvinar is a sorcerer loyal to Sarah's family. He's old and bald and tends to be more of a caretaker. He's not quite human as he's got pointy ears. He tends to be soft-spoken and at peace around the animals. He was with Queen Serana when she passed away and was witness to the decision to take baby Sarah to Earth. 
Lady Diabolen is the sister of the late queen. She intends to be queen herself and believes she's the rightful heir to the throne. With the assistance of the goons, a motley assortment of not-too-bright creatures, she's trying to take the kingdom. Diabolin was considered weak and unfit to rule when she was young. She took to learning dark magic to prove the others wrong. In doing so, she embraced the dark side, which is why Darshan fears her coming to power. Wildfire originated at the Hanna-Barbera Studios. The first episode was written by Jeff Siegel and Kelly Ward. It is likely they chose fantasy as their starting point due to the fact that fantasy was making a comeback in 1985. Prior to 1986, movies like Flash Gordon and Xanadu were priority entertainment with the studios. Just the year before Wildfire, when the series would have been in development, Legend, Ladyhawk, and Return to Oz hit theaters. Fantasy seemed to be the way to go. Jeff Siegel, one half of the creative team behind the show, started his career as a writer on the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show in 1983. He was a story editor and creative supervisor on the shows The Biscuits, The Smurfs, and Challenge of the Gobots. Kelly Ward came to writing by acting. He played Tom in the TV movie The Boy in the Plastic Bubble in 1976. Two years later, he was reunited with John Travolta in Greece. He would be an actor on GoBots as well as a story consultant for the show. In fact, GoBots was where Ward first stretched his literary muscle as a writer. Perhaps that's where he met Siegel. Whatever happened, both men ended up working on the first episode of Wildfire. Also on the writing staff was best-selling author Peter S. Beagle. Fantasy was no stranger to him being the author of The Last Unicorn. He acted as a creative consultant. Perhaps he contributed the dual nature of the worlds or developed the magic. His contributions are unclear, but Wildfire's approach to storytelling meshed with his style and world-building. No good Saturday morning show would be complete without a killer theme song. Enter Jimmy Webb, Oklahoma native. He started performing in his father's Baptist church at a young age. In the mid-60s, he found success as a songwriter, writing the song My Christmas Tree for The Supremes. Webb started to become a hitmaker for Glenn Campbell, Johnny Rivers, and The Fifth Dimension. In 1969, Webb won an armful of Grammys for the success of his songs, including MacArthur Park. In the 70s, Webb became a singer-songwriter recording his own material. In the 80s, he composed the music for the film The Last Unicorn based on the book by Wildfire consultant Peter S. Beagle. Webb wrote the Wildfire theme song, which gave the backstory about the Queen and why Sarah was sent to Earth. With scripts coming in and the theme song in the works, all that was left to do was assemble the perfect cast. Georgie Irene, born in 1972, started her career on a 1977 episode of Fernwood Tonight. On two episodes of the show that starred Martin Mull and Fred Willard, she played Baby Irene. 
From there, she made an appearance on another Norman Lear show, Maud. Just two years later, she played the character of Sunshine, a super scout in five episodes of Galactica 1980. Her first role in animation was as Judy Jones in the 1982 special Yogi Bear's all-star comedy Christmas Caper. Starting in 1983, she played Leslie Ann Cranbottom on Silver Spoons and became a regular on The Get-Along Gang. In 1986, she was cast to play farm girl Sarah, otherwise known as Princess Sarah of Darshan, on Wildfire. David Ackroyd was born in New Jersey in 1940. He studied at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania and graduated in 1962 with a BA while an ROTC student. While serving in the military, Ackroyd was stationed in Arizona and appeared in community theater productions. In the late 60s, he started his TV career and became a professional guest star. In 1984, he was a regular on Aftermash. His first voiceover work seems to have been The Greatest Adventure, Stories from the Bible, where he voiced Jesus and Gabriel. He was cast in Wildfire as John Cavanaugh, the farmer who takes in baby Sarah. John Keith Vernon was born with the real moniker Adolphus Raymundus Vernon Agapowitz in February of 1932. Born in Saskatchewan, Canada, his father, Adolf, was a grocer, his mother, Eleanor, was a housewife. Both of his parents' families emigrated to the Edenwald District in the late 19th century. Vernon's father was part of a community of Armenians living in Poland. At a young age, he attended St. Joseph's School and then transitioned to Campion College. His acting career started at the Regina Little Theater. He started to appear in CBC television programs. In 1956, he was the voice of Big Brother in the film version of 1984. In 1964, he made his Broadway debut opposite the late Christopher Plummer in The Royal Hunt of the Sun. Through the 60s, he appeared in guest roles on American television. His big break may have been the 1971 role as the mayor of San Francisco in Dirty Harry. In 1978, Vernon appeared in his most iconic role, playing Dean Wormer in the hit comedy Animal House. Along the way, he married Nancy West, and the couple had two daughters and a son. While mostly a live-action actor, Vernon did voice Iron Man and the Submariner on the 1966 series The Marvel Superheroes. He was in his 50s when he was cast as the title character, Heroic Talking Horse Wildfire, in 1986. Jessica Walter's journey started in January 1941 in Brooklyn, New York. Her mother, Esther, was an immigrant from the USSR. Her father, David, was a musician who played for the NBC Symphony and the New York City Ballet Orchestra. Walter attended New York's High School of Performing Arts. That institution was loosely the basis for the school in the 1980 film, Fame. As so many of the actors of the time started, Walter's career began on the stage in 1963. Right out of the gate, she was an award winner for her debut performance in the play, Photo Finish. 
Walters enjoyed a series of guest-starring roles on a variety of shows throughout the 60s. She was a series regular on the 1965 series For the People, playing the wife of series lead William Shatner. Like Wildfire co-star John Vernon, Walter co-starred with Clint Eastwood. She was in the psychological thriller Play Misty for Me. As with the other actors of the time, Walter also appeared on Love American Style a number of times. In 1966, Walter married Ross Bowman, a former Broadway manager and television director. The couple had one child, their daughter Brooke. Around the time Walter started making voyages on The Love Boat in 1978, the couple was in the midst of divorcing. In 1983, Walter remarried, this time to actor Ron Liebman. From what I can find, playing evil Lady Diabolin on Wildfire was the first voiceover credit for Walter. Honorable mentions to Renee Aubergenois, Susan Blue, and Frank Welker. Aubergenois played the character of Alvinar on Wildfire and was known for playing Clayton Endicott III on Benson in the early 1980s. He would go on to be the chef in The Little Mermaid, and science fiction fans will remember him for being Constable Odo for all seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Susan Blue is a well-established voiceover artist and director who played Horse Brutus. More about her life and career can be heard on our episode about The Little Clowns of Happy Town. And Frank Welker, who voiced Mudlusk, has a career spanning seven decades. For more on Welker, check out our episode about Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? After these messages, we'll be right back with the premiere of Wildfire. Hidden inside the mask slingshot, there's a mini jet, a control tracker here. Assemble mask, security brake. Let's roll, team. Stop like flying, boy. Convert vampire. Sign squad. Not so fast, boy. Slingshot engaged. Mask vehicles and Boulder Hill each sold separately with a figure. Mask, where illusion is the ultimate weapon. Mask, slingshot, and vampire each sold separately. New from Kenner. You two gonna win, sir? Sure, after this complete breakfast, including my Frosted Flakes, they bring out the tiger in you. Well, turn it up, okay? Okay, and they're good. Show them you're a tiger, show them what you care. The taste of Tony's Frosted Flakes brings out the tiger in you. Hey, kids, now there's a great place to hide your secret treasures. It's Tony's Treasure Box. Free and specially marked packages of Kellogg's Frosted Flakes. Assembly required. A secret about my child? Everyone thinks I'm the best mommy. They say, you keep her so well dressed. These gorgeous clothes make it fun. Sure, I spend a lot of time on her hair, but it's a pleasure. My child's been standing by herself from the beginning, so I can't take all the credit for being a best mommy. But everybody thinks so. From the wonderful world of my child dolls, each sold separately. This is CBS. If you watch the premiere of Wildfire, the date was September 13th, 1986. The number three song on the American charts was Stuck With You by Huey Lewis and the News. The Nation was reading It by Stephen King, the number one book in the country. 
Paul McCartney was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine with the caption, Paul McCartney, The Rolling Stone Interview. The magazine also gave shoutouts to Run DMC, Simply Red, and Billy Joel. There was also mention of an article about how rock and roll was changing because of CDs. On CBS, the other shows that premiered that day were Galaxy High School, Teen Wolf, and Pee Wee's Playhouse. If you were a kid in 1986, maybe you got up early and got yourself breakfast. Maybe you had a new cereal like a bowl of Almond Delight or Honey Graham Checks. So the show starts in the Royal Palace of Serana, the Queen of Plastic Wrap. Oh, is that not the case? It's just that her name sounds a lot like Saran, so I just assumed... Well, I assume the writers didn't want to spend a lot of time on names. It's at the very start of the show that we find all the normal things in life. There's a queen, her pointy-eared servant, and a prize stallion in her bedchambers. A horse in the bedroom? What kind of kinky show is this? When I die, this is how I want to go. We never find out what killed Queen Serana, but I assume it's that theme song that's a little too sweet. Where's Wilford Brumley to test for your diabetes? Just like the start of Pixar's Up, we start with death. If this were real life, Lady Diabolin would assume the throne and Wildfire would be shipped off to Elmer's. And that show might have been more interesting. It's in poor taste to let Elmer's Glue be your sponsors. When Queen Serana dies, Wildfire grabs the Queen's picnic basket and flies through the skies. The cynic in me wonders if this is, in fact, a picnic lunch. Just because there's a kid inside doesn't mean you can't have a baby sandwich. Instead, Wildfire books it to Earth and drops the baby in the basket on the doorstep of farmer John Cavanaugh. And no one in the universe will ever find the baby because she's in Montana. Once you go to Big Sky Country, the state absorbs you like a sponge. Maybe Wildfire thought it was the last best place to hide the kid. Farmer John finds the kid and the amulet around her neck lights up. In that flash, we flash forward to Sarah as a preteen. Wildfire's there and Sarah mounts the horse and the two fly into the skies and vanish. Roads? Where they're going, they don't need roads. Cut to the kingdom of Darshan, where the minions are fighting as Lady Diabolin sits in her tree throne. There is a case to be made here for opening the Darshan branch of Ikea. No way is that chair comfortable for Diabolin. And it's got to be killing her posture. From out of nowhere, Wildfire and Sarah show up to spook the minions and the underlings scatter. Diabolin ends up in the lake, soaked and pissed off. Sarah and Wildfire hit 88 miles per hour and vanish. The title for Wildfire appears on the screen, Engulfed in Flames. I hear this show is in bad taste in California. The episode, Once in Future Queen, starts in a garden. We find Doran talking to Brutus the horse and a talking butterfly. Brutus is practicing to fly like Wildfire using a couple of fans. The blue horse manages to get off the ground and then crashes into a pit. Brutus finds who her friends are when Doran and the butterfly laugh at her pain. With friends like these... Oh, maybe that's where the expression came from. Elsewhere in the meadow, another butterfly is talking with Alvinar, the former queen's errand boy. 
Alvinaris, tall and lanky, dressed in a Santa Claus robe and sporting Spock's rejected ears. He just so happens to drop the fact that Princess Sarah will be at the festival tonight. Doran waves the fake wings around and rubs it in Brutus's face that he can't fly. So far, the people of Darshan are dicks. There's a thud and the gang rush off to see what it is. Turns out to be Diabolin's minions disturbing a cocoon the size of a tree. The minions look vaguely like the group of fleas in the raid commercials back in the day. Well, back in these days. Doran and Brutus rush in to save the cocoon. They mix it up with the minions, but the fighting stops when they all see wildfire stomping on a hill. The minions flee at the sight of the wild stallion. Any relation to Bill and Ted here? No? Seems like those guys might have named their band after watching this. And I bet you that they watched it the right way. Anyway, Wildfire looks like he means business. I'd run too. Those things can weigh up to 1,300 pounds. Maybe more. And this one can talk. If Wildfire doesn't crush you in anger, he can still get his revenge by using your credit card on the home shopping network. And the last thing I need is a dozen Snuggies coming to my porch. Again. It turns out that the cocoon contained the babies of the butterflies. Who knew these giant butterflies put their babies in tree cocoons? If any of them hatch and look like Donamichi, I wouldn't be surprised. Doran and the butterflies suspect Diabolin is behind this attack. And that they need Princess Sarah for some reason. On the rural, dusty plains of Montana, we find John Cavanaugh calling for Sarah. And where is his little girl? She's in the top compartment of a barn with a friend playing hide the kitty. Sarah and friend are laughing every time Sarah's cat pops out of a pile of hay. John says that a social worker is coming to check up on them. And then the camera pushes in on Sarah's chest. This was definitely an 80s show. In this case, it was pushing in on the glowing amulet around Sarah's neck. Wildfire must be close by, which means the stallion is coming to take her away. The act break asks, what will Sarah do? I ask, about what? After these messages, we'll be right back. Nice ball. You've never seen a ball like this. See? Wow. He's the prize each soul separate. These furry balls are off the wall. The bubbles love to party. A soft and friend, the fat and low end. Pop goes the bubble, pop goes the bubble, pop goes the bubble. When you run Popple Popple, you let the fun out of the bag. Popple characters come in different sizes and colors. PC and prize each soul separately. From Mattel. In the skies, over Montana, wildfire emerges from a mystical portal. Only in Montana, I suppose. Sarah doesn't know what she's going to do. Go with wildfire or stay with John so the town's women don't think he did something inappropriate with her. It's tough, but Sarah goes with the horse. And you know, I once had a similar story with my girlfriend. She also went with a horse to Tijuana. But that's a story for a different podcast. Now, I know when Sarah gets back from Darshan, John's going to be in jail for doing strange things with a minor. Sarah vanishes with wildfire, and that's when the old biddies in town show up. They demand to see Sarah, and they are not nice about it. 
Are these people sanctioned through foster care? As sour as these women are, they're not as bad as my foster kid's caseworker. She gives me nightmares when I'm awake. Sarah arrives in Darshan and is greeted by the butterflies, the weirdo elf, and all the talking animals she can handle. It's like the salad bar at the Sizzler. Above all, Sarah vows to get the fairy cocoons back from the minions. Speaking of the minions, they're walking through the forest, tearing the cocoons apart. They're leaving gold threads on trees as if to taunt those on their trail. If these cocoons are too exposed, won't the larvae inside die? Are they going to start hanging baby parts from the trees? Between this and the queen dying in the opening, this lighthearted show is friggin' dark, man. What's next? Alvinar testing positive for cancer? The minions get to the middle of nowhere and announced they've arrived. Dweedle, the minionist of all the minions, doesn't know what to do next in Diabolin's dumb plan. He says this while absentmindedly lounging on Diabolin. Lady Diabolin reveals the next part of her dumb plan, kidnap the town weaver. On the next Arrested Development... Oh, sorry, it's too easy to go into that when Jessica Walter's involved. Diabolin orders the minions to take the weaver and the cocoons to the castle. And then she laughs maniacally, and you should all know how I feel about that. At the castle, Diabolin tells the weaver he's got four hours to create a dress fit for a queen. And then there's more maniacal laughter. When will the villains ever learn? I know it sounds like I'm on their side, but I can clearly see their downfall. On the trail of the cocoons, Sarah and friends try to figure out Diabolin's plan. They suspect the weaver's in on it. That poor weaver, he's a pawn in every plan in the kingdom. In the castle, Diabolin calls on the evil spirits and demon faces appear in a cloud of smoke. I'm surprised they could get away with this, especially in the age of playing records backwards and hearing subliminal messages. When I was six, I played La 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 on the album At Home with Bert and Ernie backwards, and I heard Al Al Al. And I've been enslaved to the Dark Lord Yankovic ever since. Good times. The spirits in the smoke demand wildfire. Diabolin's plan is to wear a dress bun from the cocoons of the butterflies and wear it to the festival to show Darshan she's one of them. Will that impress the butterflies? Seeing someone wearing a dress that used to be a womb? If the weaver doesn't have time for a full dress, he could make her a gold hat with the words, Make Darshan Great Again. Seems fitting for an evil witch. Sarah and friends stumble onto the weaver's cottage and find it empty. Princess Sarah and Doran go into the cottage, but they're just spinning their wheels. No pun intended? The doors close and a perimeter fire surrounds the cottage. The kids are burned to death, and this is the least darkest show of the series. After these messages, we'll be right back. There's a secret land Other pairs sold separately. They're new from Kenner. 
where were we? Oh yeah, at the Weaver's house. The fire still rages at the cottage. And that fire's pretty wild. It's a wildfire. And Wildfire the horse, no relation, is trying to figure out how to rescue the princess. That's some crazy wildfire on wildfire action. Wildfire rushes through the wildfire and is now stuck with the rest. At Diabolin's castle, the weaver and the minions are surprised to find the cocoons still have babies inside. Guess they'll have to kill them and keep spinning that dress for the dark mistress. The butterfly babies fly around the castle and cause problems. The babies take out most of the minions and then attack Diabolin when she enters the room. The babies fly to freedom and the minions are ordered to catch them. When the weaver starts to leave the room saying that he's going to help, Diabolin calls his BS. And then she acts like she's Dirty Harriet when she says, go ahead, make my dress. Back at the wildfire, Sarah's amulet is burning so she takes it off. Wildfire the horse knocks the door in, not to be confused with Doran, and they all run out, amulet and all. Apparently the amulet has powers Sarah doesn't know about. Did she pull a Ralph Hinckley? Did she lose the instruction book from the little green guys? Back at her castle, Diabolin's dress is done and she's in for the final fitting. So wait, her plan is to wear an impressive dress, go to the festival, and win the hearts of Darshan in hopes that they'll make her a queen? Isn't that a position that's inherited and not elected? Lady Diabolin is not thinking this through. Clearly the throne belongs to Sarah. So Diabolin just needs to kill her and take her place at the top of Darshan. And why not? It's just as dark as the rest of the show. Sarah and the gang come across the weaver in the wild and he tells of the royal gown he was forced to make. Sarah decides to stop Diabolin from attending the Queen's Festival. Also, Sarah and Wildfire keep mum about the fact that the weaver's house is, you know, a big pile of ash right now. Yeah, that thing must have burned to the ground. I can't imagine that Weaver has anything to go back home to. Out in the town square, Alvinar is addressing a crowd of dozen about the Queen's Festival. Diabolin enters on a litter carried by her minions. There she is, all of Darshan in one package. She does a little fashion show. She's a model, you know what I mean. And she does her little turn on the catwalk. Yeah, on the catwalk. She also reveals she's got the butterfly babies in a cage. In a show of goodwill, she gives the babies back to their parents. She's such a wonderful person, Diabolin is about to proclaim herself Queen of Darshan. But wait, Sarah arrives and it's a huge shock that she's still alive after all these years. I don't know if she's alive, she does live in Montana. So, sorry Montana. Anyway, Sarah reveals that Diabolin also kidnapped the baby butterflies. Diabolin denies it and Sarah points out the golden cocoon dress the lady is wearing. It causes a murmur 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 and the minions run away from an angry butterfly mob. That's a sentence nobody says ever. Diabolin is disappointed that the people of Darshan don't recognize how nice she was. So she transforms into a fiery dragon so she can, you know, destroy them all, just like a good leader. Diabolin breathes fire in all direction. 
Sarah says she's scared but willing to fight her aunt. They'll fight fire with wildfire. The ultimate battle begins. And wildfire manages to get the dragon's tail in his teeth and flip the dragon around. The dragon transforms back into Lady Diabolin, who's knee-deep in the mud. She's as dirty on the outside as she is on the inside. Man, that is deep. The lady gives up but vows to win the kingdom. She will return in Diabolin another day. Doran celebrates by saying that they showed Diabolin who is boss. That kid did nothing but run. Even Sarah was standing still after she fell off of the horse. The day was saved thanks to Wildfire. As it should be, the show is named after him. It's not called Princess Sarah, Flipper of Dragons. But my next fanfiction is... Alvinara reminds Sarah she needs to get back to Montana before John is accused of being a pedophile. She climbs up on Wildfire and leaves with the message, Remember, I'm only a world away. The crowd cheers to show their support for the future monarchy. Back on the farm, Sarah arrives in time to hear the old lady committee grill John about her. Sarah says she was getting a surprise for the biddy in charge, Mrs. Ashworth. The girl gives up the flowers a butterfly gave her in Darshan. The old lady is delighted by the flowers and all is right with the world. Wildfire goes back through his energy portal and into the hearts of everyone too cool for My Little Pony. The End After these messages, we'll look at the impact, aftermath, and explore the legacy of Wildfire. When you get hold of the Nintendo Entertainment System. When you master Rob the Video Robot and meet the challenge of Gyromite. When you shoot the light-sensing zapper. When you play the system with so many arcade hits, you're playing with power. The Nintendo Entertainment System Deluxe Set. Batteries not included. Super Mario Brothers and other games sold separately. This is our bus. This is our bus driver. This is fun. Fruit Corners through Bullops. the great big taste of new watermelon fruit roll-ups. Free ride! Pull! Okay, the McDonald's Happy Meal guy! Roger, hamburger? Fries! And soft drink? All oh, regular size! Fries. How do you like the ride so far? Ride? What ride? <laughs> you can travel into the future when you buy McDonald's Young Astronaut Space Happy Meal, each with one of four different space vehicles to collect for good times that are out of this world. Young Astronaut Space Happy Meal. You can collect all four at McDonald's. Georgie Irene continued on in both voice acting and live action, appearing on such shows as Super Ted, Out of This World, and Married with Children. Her last credit was for a 1992 episode of Evening Shade. While her entertainment credits fall off here, we hope she found another worthwhile career and wish her well. David Aykroyd continued to work in both live action and animation. 
He would pop up in a MacGyver or Xena warrior princess here and there. In 1963, he married Ruth Lyman, and the couple had two daughters, Abigail and Jessica. His last credit was for the 2009 movie, The Best Bar in America. It is possible that he returned to stage work or just decided to retire. At the age of 81, we hope he's enjoying his retirement and wish him well. John Vernon was directed by some heavy headers during his career, including Alfred Hitchcock, George Cooker, and Clint Eastwood. His children, Kate, Nan, and Chris, are all in the entertainment industry. He made a career out of playing authority figures and even those who were morally bankrupt. While likely best remembered from Animal House, Vernon continued on in voice work, playing characters on TV as well as in video games. On February 1st, 2005, Vernon passed away from complications due to heart surgery. He was 72 years old. Jessica Walter continued to voice animated characters, mostly as a guest star. Likewise, in live action, she did a show here and there. In the early 90s, she joined the cast of Dinosaurs as mother Fran Sinclair. A decade later, she might have played the mother of all mothers when she was cast as Lucille Bluth in Arrested Development. As if that wasn't enough, she played another pain-in-the-rear mom when she was cast as Mallory Archer in the animated show Archer in 2009. Sadly, her husband Ron passed away in 2019 due to pneumonia at the age of 82. Daughter Brooke Bowman is currently an executive for 20th Century Fox Television. On March 24, 2021, Walter passed away in her sleep at the age of 80. Was it a phenomenon? Not so much. I can't tell how well received it was. It was a Hanna-Barbera show, so there was a certain amount of merchandise they contracted for. Of that, I know Wildfire got a lunchbox that came with a thermos. It was perfect for showing off your love of Princess Sarah on the playground at lunch. As far as other merchandise, there's nothing of consequence. No dolls, stickers, or notebooks. It came and went in 13 weeks, and no one seemed to notice. That year at Christmas, no one was asking for wildfire figures or pajamas. Kids were clamoring for their G.I. Joes and pound puppies. Wildfire was just a show they got swept under the rug and almost forgotten. The legacy of wildfire is... non-existent. I'm sure that, if you were growing up in the 80s and it appealed to you, maybe you remember it fondly. Maybe you had the lunchbox. It's likely that viewers changed the channel to the Care Bears or the Gummy Bears since those two shows have endured through the decades. The cast of Wildfire, as well as the studio and people involved, were all solid. I believe what hurt the show was that the premise was promising, but the execution was confusing. There wasn't really follow-through with an overall arc. If it were done today, I'm sure the entire season would be planned out with valleys and peaks and in with a bang. The idea behind this show needs to be looked at again. It was a good idea, but the show contained some rough edges. 
Maybe they didn't know how to deliver what was promised. Maybe the idea was just bigger than Saturday morning. The 13th and final episode aired on December 13, 1986. For those interested, the show is available on DVD. It's worth a look back just to see a show that most people didn't watch when it aired. See what you missed when you were watching the Gummy Bears? Was Wildfire a favorite? Are you hearing about it now for the first time? Listen until the end of this episode for our contact information and let us know. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for joining us at this Saturday Morning Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. If you could do us a favor, leave a five-star review wherever you get your episodes. Check out Twitter at SatmornPod for announcements and other cartoony things. We're also on Instagram at SatmornPod, the official source for all the behind-the-scenes stories of the podcast. Got a minute? Check out the Saturday Morning Minute on YouTube. We offer quick looks at all those great 80s shows. And what about you? Do you have any vintage Saturday morning memories? If so, email your story to satmornpod at hotmail.com. We could read it on the next episode. If you'd like to support us so we can make more of these things, find us at patreon.com slash saturdaymorn. You'll find a stockpile of season one bonus content as well as new features added monthly. You'll also have a chance to win behind the scenes prizes as well as being given email priority. Cherry bombs don't explode, they just podcast. Yo, 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 Yogi. He's also something of an 80... 88... <laughs> Walt Disney's head is on ice. He was with Queen Serana when she passed away and was witness to the decision to take baby Sarah to Earth. Why did I write crap like this? I don't know. It's gotta be done. Somebody's gotta do it. I guess that's me. As with the other actors of the time, Walter also appeared on Love American Style and a, n- <laughs> and a number of times. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need no stinking roads. <laughs> out, out, <laughs> out in the... Oh no, it's Walt Disney's head all over again. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Okay, bye-bye.